Last week, we talked about the one thing you thought nonprofits didn't have to do. This week, we're diving into the secrets of taking the right action. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple of pivots into for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Welcome back to the podcast. We are so thrilled because today we are tackling another topic of our Legacy Builders flywheel. Now, you've known, I'm sure if you've been listening, we have a certain flywheel that we know just helps nonprofits really succeed. Um, Sometimes as leaders, it's easy to get focused on one or two things, um, but really getting the whole thing working is super, super, super important. So today we are specifically talking about the right action as it is so critical because there's a difference between taking action and taking the right action. Absolutely. (laughs) And I know sometimes it's easy, um, at least I've seen it for myself. It's easy to sometimes wake up and say, you know what? I know what I'm trying to do. I know what I'm trying to accomplish. As long as I'm taking action, any action is good. Um, And while there is some truth to that, There's also a point where if we are not taking the right action, not maybe we're not identifying it, or maybe we know we should be doing, but we're kind of putting it off because it's the discomfort of growing and the discomfort of actually putting ourselves out there. Um, That's really going to hinder and stifle growth long term, especially if you've gone through the work of getting the right people involved. Um, If you have the right people involved and they're seeing you not take the right action, it just creates this downward spiral. So let's have the right action conversation today. Yeah, I think a big pitfall that a lot of leaders find themselves in is that they know the the right action that they need to take. Um, I've seen this happen a lot at conferences. We'll, we'll go to a conference and they'll have breakout sessions and then people start asking questions. How do I do this? How do I tackle this? I have this issue. And uh, I think they're looking for someone to give them a different answer than mm-hmm. what they know they need to do because... As leaders, we are wired up to do the things that we enjoy and that we're good at. And we all have different things that we're uncomfortable with. Uh, It might be confrontation. It might be having coaching conversations. It might be asking things of people. It might be something as simple as organizing yourself or maybe even loosening up a little bit and being a little less organized. Um, But chances are the right action that you're going to need to take is going to be something that is a little uncomfortable. And so the first big thing about right action is recognizing that you probably know what it is. Yes. And you've just been putting it off. You've been avoiding it. And so you, it's really easy to take action in order to avoid taking the right action. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there are times in our leadership that we've been helping other organizations and we'll see them taking a lot of action and there's a lot of movement happening. But when you really start to dig in, it's kind of like... Um, the action that they're taking is like the waves on top of the water. It's like these Mm. little, they're trying to swim, they're kind of kicking. You you can see some surface level waves. Um, But when you really dig in, the the water that's lower than like six inches down is just still. Like Mm. nothing's moving. 
nothing's happening. But from the outside, someone can look in and say, wow, they're really busy. Or wow, they're really doing a lot. Or wow, they have a lot going on. And I've even seen this in my own life as like a mom, (laughs) where people look at my life and say, wow, you're super busy. You have a lot going on. And from the outside, they're seeing the parts where it looks like I'm moving. But they're not necessarily seeing what's really going on underneath the surface. And sometimes we get so busy trying to create what looks like movement that we don't actually create the movement that turns into something bigger. Like the large waves of the ocean don't get that way just because the top six inches are moving. Like there's something bigger going on underneath the surface. And so as leaders, we need to understand that if we are unwilling to take the right action, then we are also unwilling to get the results that we're looking for. Yeah. So the big challenge right away that we have for all of our listeners is to write down a few of the things that you know need to get done that are going to help your organization move forward, not just move. Yeah. <laughs> we, our goal isn't to run on a treadmill or run in some kind of gerbil hamster wheel. We want to actually move this thing forward. So what are the things, uh, maybe the top three things that you're like, if I did this one thing, yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, it might be challenging. I might have to grow as an individual, as, an, as a leader to do it. But if I do these things, I know stuff is going to start moving. If you're not sure what those things are, a couple of questions to ask yourself would be, um, what is the thing that I, that I have been putting off for the last six months? Um, mm. What's the thing I've been putting off for the last year? And you know you've been putting it off because it kind of mentions itself in your mind here and there and you you dismiss it. Um, What are those things? Or if you're in the middle of some sort of an issue, maybe you have a volunteer issue um, or your scheduling isn't working or there's some sort of event coming up and you don't have the leaders in place that you need. Ask yourself, what could I have done three months ago that would make it so I wasn't having this issue today? Mm -hmm. Um, And that oftentimes is the right action. A lot of times, unfortunately, it's things that we could have actually foreseen. There are some things that just hit us over the head as leaders and we're completely blindsided. But often the right action and the things that we should be doing are the things that we already know that we should have already done. And that stinks. (laughs) And I don't like that answer, but that's what it is. (laughs) I'm going to say this too. Um, in organizations, we're dealing with a lot of different people and a lot of like employees or volunteers. And sometimes the right action is us helping coach those who are leading to take the right action. Mm-hmm. And so it's essential, obviously, first that we figure out how to tackle the right actions for ourselves, but then also looking around us and saying, OK, I have this person in person in this position in what ways are they looking busy versus in what ways are they actually accomplishing something and how can I help them to start taking the right action? So my question, Lisa, for you to kind of answer is how can you pinpoint some of the right actions other people should be taking? Um, Sometimes the best way to pinpoint those actions is just to talk to that leader and start asking a lot of questions. Um, Talk to the leader, maybe talk to the people under the leader, not trying to discredit the leader. I'd be very careful about maintaining (laughs) the trust within your organization, but just asking questions of what's going on. Um, We're working with a client right now that we... We started asking questions of the organization and kind of dug down and dug down. And 
even as we're building that relationship and as we're helping them, we're still continuing to ask questions of every person that we come into contact with. Because as a leader, we need to recognize that even though we have maybe a slightly elevated view, not elevated being better, but elevated being more of a broad scope of what's happening within the organization, um, sometimes we can immediately know and be able to tell what's happening within one of our leaders and how they could be making changes. Sometimes, though, we don't know everything that's going on. Sometimes it's way more, well, all the time, it's way more intricate than we really think that it is. So first is identifying a leader where you're, where you kind of have that feeling of, you know what, I think that there's something going on here that isn't quite clicking. And then being willing to first ask questions before you go diagnose the issue. Um, I know for myself, I like to jump in and just tell people, well, just do it like this or just fix that or just whatever. Part of it's the way my brain works is I can kind of piece the stuff together and, you know, go through the if it's this and this and this and this, it's probably this, here's that. But just because my brain works that way and just because my gut might be right a majority of the time doesn't mean that I'm right to assume anything. And so stepping out of myself first and being willing to say, I'm going to go in first by asking questions, because if you ask the right questions, there's a chance that the leader underneath you is going to figure out the right action for themselves. If you Mm. can teach them how to ask the right questions by asking them the right questions, um, then you're effectively teaching them how to figure out the right action for themselves and how to lead better. Um, I think a lot of times as leaders, we do a disservice to to the leaders that we are bringing up by telling them what the right action is versus helping them discover the right action. Yeah, we do a disservice to the leader by not actually training them up to be able to be self-sufficient and be able to figure these things out because chances are that leader is leading somebody. Mm -hmm. That volunteer is is going to be influencing somebody and they're going to need to be able to pinpoint uh, what the right actions are that that person can take. So it's not just about figuring out what the right action is, but it's also about having that growth mindset of how can I invest in this person so that they can they can do a better job of leading mm-hmm. and elevating things. Uh, one thing that I think might help you to understand the right actions is right actions lead to growth. Mm-hmm. Action, just in general, leads to maintenance. Yes. Um, and uh, it can be really, really easy to get distracted by action because it feels so urgent. It's generally the action items, the to-do list is filled with things that are going to make it work for one more week or going to make it work for one more month are going to get you through the next fundraiser. But growth right actions are going to pay off huge dividends in the long run. And you can boil those things down into uh, a few right actions that even though they're uncomfortable, <laughs> and they almost always are, uh, <laughs> even though they're uncomfortable, they're the ones that you need to take to be able to really move things forward. Mm-hmm. Now, we were talking with a couple friends of ours earlier, and we were talking about how when you bring up a leader and you work with them to figure out what the right actions are, and then you actually teach them right, what the right actions are, how that process takes longer than if you as a leader do it yourself. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Because <laughs> I feel like we had that conversation. I was like, people need to hear about this. Well, the, the the thing is, as leaders, we got to the position where we are generally because we have some talent or we have some disciplines that have given us the ability to accomplish things. And so many times, especially in volunteer organizations and nonprofits, it's going to be way faster to 
put together that flyer by myself, then have to find a volunteer, train that volunteer, teach them how to do it, inspect what they're doing, and then make sure it's good. Um, now, when you're on a time crunch and you're not thinking ahead, you're always going to be having to default to doing it yourself or having like one or two trusted people that you can hand it off to. But remember, we want to be thinking growth. We, wanna, we don't want to just be continuing to lean on the three people in the organization, including ourselves. We're one of the three. <laughs> the three people in the organization to accomplish this stuff because we need to be thinking, how can we expand the amount of people that can fit into this organization because it's a you know nothing on this flywheel exists in a vacuum everything grows and everything else grows and so we want to be able to create opportunities to grow the right people we want to create opportunities for people to be able to get more involved than just being on the sidelines we want to create systems we want to do all this stuff right so we have to be thinking long term and say yes this is going to take three times longer to empower somebody else to do this and that's okay and that's not just okay that's preferred because i can get something done for now but we haven't grown if i just do it Mm -hmm. Uh, but when i empower somebody else to do it now we're now we're thinking growth now we're thinking long term and that's the right action to take Often, uh, it, maybe you've heard it put this way, like a totem pole, like the things on the top of the totem pole are like the, you know, just maintenance actions. So the things that can just make a thing happen. But the things on the bottom of the totem pole, those are the things that are going to actually change where your organization is uh, in a year. Right. And so addressing and figuring out those things and moving, moving the whole totem pole takes a lot more time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes a lot more effort. It takes a lot more strategy. Um, uh, another, the, the tyranny of the urgent is another yes, thing that comes up. Yes, we talk up. about this a lot. <laughs> important versus urgent things. Urgent things feel more important in the moment, especially. Like, we got to address this right now. This is, this is broken right now. But it's important to take a step back and say, okay, long run, is it more important that I do this right now? Or is it more important that I do something different that's going to make this so this isn't even an issue in a month? Mm-hmm. Because... We like to stick band-aids onto things rather than actually sewing up a gaping wound. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think part of that is sticking band-aids on things um, allows us to act like what's going on is healthy and there's just a little issue. Um, but to really acknowledge that it's not just a little scraped up, like it's actually broken. We got to get in there and fix it. Um, that takes a different amount of commitment and a different amount of energy. Right. Um, but it's an but it's the moment that we finally say, you know what, I'm willing to dive in and really figure this out and start making the necessary changes. That's when you start to see that awesome long term growth. And part of that is prioritizing the long term in a way where that pressure is greater than the urgent pressure. Hmm. Um, and a lot of times the reason that we cave and we do what's urgent is because we allow that pressure on our shoulders to weigh heavier than where the organization is going to go long term. And we see this not only in nonprofits, but also in uh, for profits, where it's really easy for business owners or even uh, leaders in the middle organization to, you know, get busy with all the tasks, all the emails, all the phone calls, all the text messages, all of the little communication things, all of the little, oh, I should really change my email footer for this thing or my signature. <laughs> you know, those things that really, if you didn't change them, 
Like it might not be ideal, but if you were to tackle an actual issue within the organization, you're going to end up in a much better place. Um, and usually not that long of a time. Sometimes I'll say like, oh, in five years we'll be there or in two years we'll be there or whatever. But what I've noticed is when I'm willing to dive in and fundamentally shift something so that the thing that isn't working is working by taking the right action, usually you can see a huge impact within like 90 days. Right. And I think this is this is a really, really interesting thing to camp on here for a second because I get this picture of an orange grove, just tons of orange trees and this picture of... of uh, of an orange farmer just walking from tree to tree, like circling this whole orange grove, trying to find oranges that they can reach. But they've already picked all the oranges that they can reach. They've already they've already done that. So they're walking around, wasting all this time trying to find oranges that are within reach, where if they took the time to go and get a ladder to bring it out, they could have a ton of oranges if they just camp that ladder by one tree for just a little bit. And then move the ladder to the next tree and fully pick all the oranges off of that tree. And so we have to be thinking through the fact that like we can have huge payoff if we take the time to think through what's the actual strategic choice here, not just one that uh, feels busy. Mm-hmm. Because that farmer who walks around the orange grove, he's tired at the end of the day. He, he used his legs all day. He walked miles and miles. <laughs> but he might have like one or two oranges where the guy who uses the ladder... Yes, he had to like take a trip back to the shed or whatever, grab the ladder, come back out. He's going to have baskets and baskets and baskets of actual effectiveness that he can show off and say, look at what I accomplished. Because it's not about how much we work. It's about how much we accomplish. Mm-hmm. Like in, in nonprofit work and business uh, in general, it's not about how busy we are. It's about what's what do you have to show for your busyness? If you can get, you know... 10 times the amount of stuff done in a single hour, you should do that. You shouldn't work for 10 hours to get one result. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really huge too in nonprofits in particular um, because there is a cause. There's something that is trying to be accomplished. I know there is in business too, but when we're talking about like the social issues that people are tackling, any amount of time that we are spending doing things that have no value and add no value. Um, While we might feel good in the moment because we're technically working for the cause, if we're not getting the actions and the results for the cause, we're doing a disservice to the people and the causes that we're trying to help. Mm -hmm. And I totally get it because doing the comfortable thing is always easier than doing the uncomfortable thing. But you feel so gross at the end of the day. Like I just sat here at my computer and I didn't, there's nothing to show for it. My email inbox is kind of cleaned out, but I just deleted spam and <laughs> all <laughs> this true. stuff. Yeah, you don't have that feeling at the end of a day of I actually move something forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to affect some massive change. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, this this uh, this conversation is a big deal because I think um, we get in cycles as leaders of nonprofit organizations, we, we even get, we get in cycles working with our clients who, you know, have us come out and consult where it can be easier for us to, you know, do things for them rather than help them to be able to stand on their own two feet. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a you know, we, we get in these cycles with our kids where it's like, it's just easier for me to clean my kid's room. It's such a mess and, and whatever. Rather <laughs> it takes than so teaching long. them, I teach a five-year-old how to pick one thing up and, and put, put it, it away. away. Pick one thing up and put it away. 
you have to stand there. You have to watch it get done. But, you know, what's great is if you can actually instill that in your kids, their room's going to cl- get clean and you don't have to clean it. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing, theoretically, <laughs> when we get there. <laughs> yes, we um, are no, uh, by no means perfect at this. Yeah. I will say one thing with right action that I think sometimes we forget is you just mentioned going through cycles and seasons. I think sometimes we end up finding out what the right action is. We focus on doing the right action. The cycle or the season changes. Maybe our organization grows or the area that we're leading starts to grow and take off. And we continue doing the same action, assuming that because it was once right, it's still right. Ooh. That stings. A little bit. A little bit. Just because it used to be the right action doesn't mean it's the right action anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the right actions you can take is to constantly be collecting data to figure out if what you're doing is effective. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we either cling to what the right action was simply because we haven't taken a moment to say, wait, is this still the right action? Is this still the same thing? Um, I think sometimes we discard old right actions, assuming it wasn't the right action before we've taken the moment to really figure out the measurable impact and the resources that we have and some of the people that the right action has brought in. And so sometimes we discard the right action, not realizing that that was the thing that that's causing all of the growth that we have right now. Um, so sometimes it's not just getting rid of the old right action. Sometimes it's changing it, um, maybe handing it to another leader on your team to make sure that they're still spearheading that. Um, but sometimes it really is about acknowledging that the right action was the right action until this moment. And now there's a new right action that I need to take and really identifying what that is. But it stinks. Like I'll say for myself, when I've gone through a season where I'm like, oh, I need to know what the right action is. And I figure it out. And then I just keep doing that and doing that and doing that and doing that. And then one day I'll realize it was the right action. It's not the right action anymore. I've just wasted the last month. Like, hmm. you know, or, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I should have stopped doing this a couple of weeks ago. Or when that finally downs on me. I'm like, why didn't I see it? But it's because we get so focused on pushing on one area that when it starts to grow, we just continue pushing. It's like rolling a boulder. And after a while, it's like, yes, you want to push the boulder. You want to get the momentum for the boulder. You need to do all that stuff. But there might be a season where you've gotten the boulder as far as it can go until you get the path dug for it to continue on in the future. Mm -hmm. Or maybe push a different boulder for a season or in the example, the flywheel, pushing on the next area for your organization to make sure that you're not just getting completely out of balance and then losing the other pieces that really allow it to effectively turn. We were having a conversation with a friend of ours and we were talking about right actions <laughs> and they brought up the fact that they're just really enjoying what they're doing right now. And we have another client that is talking about the fact that there are parts of what they're doing as the leader of the organization that they do not enjoy. And I think this is essential. I mean, we talked, you know, I mentioned it a while ago, we've been talking about through this whole episode is that the, the flywheel, nothing, no single point on this flywheel exists in a vacuum. And that is so true uh, when it comes to right actions. And especially when it comes to talking about your why and, you know, what you were built to be able to accomplish. And just because you can do something doesn't mean that you're the one who should do it. So sometimes the right action is to say, I'm not passionate about this. My right action is to find somebody who is because people will follow passionate people. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing something that you're not passionate about, guess what? No one's going to follow you there. They can sense it. They can smell it. It smells bad. 
smells stinky. <laughs> they show up and they're like, this leader does not like this. I don't want to do this It doesn't anymore. matter how and much you fake it. Yeah. They can, they can smell it. They can just tell. People can tell. They're very smart sometimes and it stinks. Maybe like, they're not smart in the brain all the time, but their, <laughs> their intuitions uh, will tell them a lot. And so if you're feeling like there's a part of this that I'm not passionate about, it's not a sign that you that that it should just stop happening. It's right. a sign that you need to find somebody who can bring passion to it because there is somebody out there who's passionate about it. I guarantee you there's someone who loves doing the thing in your organization that you hate doing and would mm-hmm. love the opportunity to do it. Um, you just got to find that person. Yes, you really do have to find that person. And I love what you said. When you're not passionate about it, that doesn't mean necessarily stop doing that thing. Right. It means identify who is the person who could do that thing and do it well. And often the very fact that they're passionate about that thing means that they'll excel your ability to do it, Um, Mm -hmm. which is super exciting to see when you begin to see that, because... I look at leaders who I've brought up at different times or different clients we've worked with, and when they begin to thrive at something that I was not passionate about at all, and you can see their face light up and their excitement and that they really care about it, it's amazing to see because not only have we removed something off of our plate as leaders that was really affecting our attitude, our mood, our, our energy. energy, everything, but we've also brought someone onto the team who now has a better mood and a better attitude and more energy because we were willing to let go of the control over what the right action is. I would say um, somebody's passion in something trumps their skill level and technical ability at something because people will follow them if they're passionate. Obviously, they, they need to have a certain level of of, uh, of competence. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to just throw somebody who's really bad at something. But um, if they can't do something to the level of skill or quality that you can do it, but they have more passion than you do, guess what? They're better than you at it. Yeah, 100%. Also, we've said it and we've seen it time and time again. You can teach someone the skill. You can teach someone how to be competent in something. You can't teach passion. Right. It's really, really hard. Sometimes someone will be around you long enough and they'll catch it. But if you have someone who naturally has that passion for your organization, uh, for your cause, for the work that you're trying to do, for whatever the task is, if you have someone who is passionate about that, they will gather the skills that they need and grow over time simply because their passion will drive them to do so. Yeah, their passion will drive them to grow. They're not going to be content to just stay where they are. Yeah. They're going to want to improve. And if you can't tell if someone is like truly passionate or maybe just short term excited, if they come to you and say, oh, my gosh, I really want to do maybe it's someone who wants to sing. Right. Um, Because Ted used to lead music. And so someone come to him and say, oh, I really want to sing. And then he'd like hear them a little bit, maybe give them something to work on. Um, it was really easy to tell which ones just had short-term excitement because if they had something to work on and they didn't work on it, they just wouldn't come back and we never hear from them again. <laughs> they wouldn't come back and ask. Yeah. But if it was someone who was passionate, it didn't matter how many things Ted told them to work on, they would be back in six months and they would sound better. 
Yep. Like that was just how it was. And we've seen that not just in like the arts, music, like that kind of area, but in any realm. If you have someone who's like, you know what? I know that you're the office administrative here, administrator here. I just really care about making sure things go out on time. I love spreadsheets. I like the idea of organization. You might be able to show them something and they might not know what it is. But if you say, hey, here's the system that we use. Can you go mess around with it for a bit? Get yourself familiar and come back. If they're truly passionate about that, they will be back and they'll understand the system or at least enough of the system that you'll be able to then effectively train them. Yeah, it's a way to give them just a little bit of a a small tasks. Then you can learn how to learn if they're trustworthy (laughs) with more. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can start to give them the right actions to do. Um, I want to just kind of come back around to something that you were talking about uh, kind of basically at the beginning of this episode talking about um, the right actions when it comes to the people that we are over and digging in and asking the right questions to figure out what the right actions need to be because we as leaders need to not operate on assumptions we mm-hmm. have to operate on data Mm-hmm. And the only way to collect data, especially in an organization that's full of people, is to ask a lot of questions. Once we have a lot of data, then we, as leaders, a lot of times we can sort and figure out, okay, what's the best solution? And we might have a better solution than, say, somebody who we're leading. Because they might have, they see their problems, they might have a, a not great solution to fix that problem. Mm-hmm. But until we have the data... We can't actually know if their potential solution is good or bad. So we can't assume that we just know the answer. Mm -hmm. Because seasons change. Culture changes. Something that worked for us when we were younger or whatever won't work now. I mean, a a great example is like the internet. Things that worked on the internet five years ago don't work now. (laughs) Oh my gosh, not at all. And I mean, the internet changes so rapidly. Mm -hmm. But... It's important that we collect the data to see where the right action is actually going to make the biggest impact. Yeah. And part of that, too, is when you're digging in and asking those questions, you have to ask the right questions. Ask a lot of questions, but you have to make sure that as the leader, the words that you say just hold more weight in the person for the person that you're talking to. And so if you come in, say, is your stuff working? They're going to say yes. They want to impress you. Um, If you come in, say, did you get your tasks done? They're going to say yes. Like, are you prioritizing the right things? They're going to say yes. They're going to say yes. So the questions that need to be asked are ones that are incredibly open-ended and are ones where the person that you're talking to can't tell what the right answer is. (laughs) Like, how do you feel like your work is going? What do you like most about your job right now? What do you like most about your job? What do you not like about your job? Which leaders under you are you noticing? Which which leaders right now are really thriving? Which that people question, in the organization are driving you crazy? Yeah. But I mean, just think about this. If I ask someone what leader in your organization is thriving, I right then, depending on their answer, know how many leaders they have, know how in touch with their leaders that they are, know whether or not they're prioritizing what their leaders are good at to know if they're thriving and know whether or not their communication is effectively working. And as a bonus, you might have just pinpointed some other future leaders. Yeah. And you're identifying future leaders for down the road. Which ones are thriving? That's a great, like, oh, I should pay attention to that name and see if it comes up again in the future. Um, But the questions that you ask when they're open-ended and the person that you're asking them of doesn't know what the right answer should be because there isn't a right answer. 
and <laughs> not one where they're going to get in trouble either way because sometimes they're like oh, I'm trying to guess this person do you want you know if you go in and ask a question that cut that doesn't sound like you're open to whatever the answer might be um, that can put your leader in a very difficult position to the point where they just don't want to tell you anything I don't know a ton about court hearings but I do know two common objections that I've heard like on TV, like when, a, when a, a lawyer is asking a witness a thing or whatever. And there are two things, badgering the witness and leading the question. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you, when you're talking to people that you are leading, you don't want to badger, <laughs> badger the witness. Mm-hmm. You don't want to beat them over the head and make them just feel terrible because they're not going to give you accurate information. Yep. And you don't want to lead the question because you're putting words in their mouth before they even have a chance to answer. Right. So if you say like, hey, we have a big event coming up. Like you have all your volunteer spots filled, right? <laughs> like they're going to say like, oh, the answer to this is yes. And even if the answer is no, as soon as my leader leaves, I'm going to get on the phone and call all the people who I need right now. And now they're, in, now they're in maintenance mode and it's just it's not growth mode. Right. They're in maintenance mode. They're in panic mode. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and they're not going to get the right people yeah, or enough of the right people because the people that they call are going to suddenly hear that they're desperate and no one wants desperate. Right. Um, so it really is when you're trying to help another leader identify what the right action is, asking those questions and asking them in a non-judgmental way and being very careful about how you ask. Um, I have a degree in anthropology, so I'm constantly thinking about this because I had to take a whole course simply about how to conduct surveys and how to ask questions. Um, Because as an anthropologist, you're supposed to be third party neutral, which is very interesting if you're looking at a totally different culture and trying to identify what's happening. But the same thing happens within our organization is even though I might be talking to a leader that I am bringing up, and so therefore I'm responsible for how that leader is doing and how their organization is going. If I go into that, assuming that I'm already 100% familiar, I'm not going to go in third-party neutral, asking questions so that I can really identify what's working, what's not working, what could be adjusted. Because chances are, if I'm the leader, I've been around, not necessarily around longer time-wise, but around longer experience-wise. Yep. And if I just assume that I already know what's going on, um, they're probably going to defer to me, which is great in terms of honor, but not great if I can't get the data that I need. I was going to say, you're just, you're, you're not giving yourself data data to work with and Mm -hmm. the world is changing so fast we have to be able to collect good accurate data in order to be able to make good decisions um i I think everybody who's listening has been a part of organizations where leadership just assumed they knew the right answer but you were you were on the ground level you you were the boots on the ground you saw that the mandates that were coming down from on high were not actually solving problems uh, if you ever worked in fast food, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> it's just um, it's so important to understand. And that's why 360 degree reviews are so helpful. This is why exit interviews are so helpful. This is why just having a performance reviews are extremely uh, helpful as long as you're running them in a way that's not just getting the answers that you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes getting the answers that you don't want to hear. Like, it's hard. Sometimes the reason that we lead the question isn't because we're trying to 
get a certain answer from them. It's because we're trying to get a certain answer for us. It's self-defense. It's self-defense. <laughs> I would rather tell myself a story that's nice than hear what's really going on. Because what's happening when we are leading people is anything that isn't working, it's immediately our responsibility. Um, and it hits the ego a little bit. And that's... Yep. And but, but as leaders, we have to be willing to take shots to our ego and we have to be willing to hear things that we don't like. And we have to be willing to uh, take that responsibility as leaders. It is our responsibility when things aren't working in our organization. And it is going to hurt when we hear that something is sucking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but unless we know where the problems lie, we can't actually address them. We can't actually take the right action. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, this has been a really great conversation. Yeah, fruitful, I think. <laughs> fruitful, especially with oranges and orange groves. <laughs> I didn't even get that until just now. <laughs> so um, as a leader listening to this, what is one right action that you can be taking this week? What's something that you know that you've been putting off? Or maybe the right action is just going to some of your team leads and just asking a few open-ended questions and just getting the communication actually functioning within your team. So take a moment, write it down for yourself, put it in your phone if you need to, set an alarm on your calendar so that you actually take some time to do it. If you want an extra level of accountability, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to send us uh, an email saying like, hey, this is the... This podcast episode is really great. This is the right action that I want to take. Uh, unless, you know, maybe maybe we need to hear the podcast episode wasn't great. You know, we had to be willing to take shots to our ego. But no, <laughs> uh, go ahead and send us an email at office at LegacyBuildersINTL.com. We'd love to continue the conversation there. And uh, in the future, maybe even read some of those emails that we've received from you guys and uh, have more conversations about them. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersINTL.com. 